0: Wave the feckin' flag and let's get on with it already. Everybody's allowed to speak with a tired accent. Hey, forget about it. de boop a bop But If I want to speak with an Irish accent, I will. Uh, thank because you never know when someone's going to say, that's a spicy ball. I'm feckin' tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just should end the show right there. Well done, once again. I don't know. I'm faking well done indeed. Too, <laughs> well, you know, Peter, to wrap up the week the right way, and I can't believe it's only been four days, just because so much has happened in the NFL this week. My wife and I watched the excellent movie, nominated for Best Picture. Banshees of Inna on Sunday night in lieu of actually watching the Oscars. And number one, what a simple but brilliant premise. Bleak, but in a weird sort of way uplifting. But it introduced me to the world of the word feck. I had no idea. Yes. I've walked around this planet for 57 years not recognizing that there was a very simple and socially acceptable replacement for the grandmother of dirty words you just change the u to an e and you've got license to say basically a word that sounds the same feels the same gives you the same visceral sense of stress relief so we've been let it fly all week long and apparently it's okay now they've worked it into the show open so all variations feck fecker feckin Big Fecker, it's been a fun feckin' week here on PFT Live. And good morning (laughs) to everyone. Happy St. Patrick's Day, especially to our friends in Ireland who are watching the program on Sky Sports Action, not Sky Sports, NFL. They changed the name of it during non-football season, although it's football season all year round, especially in a week like this, Peter. Free agency, first week, come and gone, and uh, we've gotten a lot of clarity about a lot of things, and there's still plenty of questions to be answered. You know, first of
1: all, Mike, uh I didn't know it was possible to fall in love with a donkey, but uh I love Jenny the donkey in that show. In that in Boy, that, yeah, that that could be she taken out of context.
0: Awesome. <laughs> that, that that could be taken out of context. And I know it will be. I know it will be.
1: Look, hey Mike, listen. Here's the whole thing about this week, okay? Every week Every time it's free agency week, every time, no matter whether this was a Walmart type of free agency week, uh, in that there just simply weren't very many really good players available this week. and so. But it doesn't matter. The mania happens and people go nuts about it. And I understand why, because everybody loves the NFL and it is a way to imagine what Javon Hargrave is going to mean to your team. If you're the San Francisco 49ers, what, you know, the New York Giants fan is saying, maybe Paris Campbell finally plays uninjured and he's the slot guy who we've been looking for and all, you know, so there's maybe all of these things that everybody thinks of, but history shows it's a different story. You know, I go back to the uh, to 20 years ago when almost every year in Dan Snyder's first few years as owner, Washington won free agency every offseason and then went out and snuck up the joint the following year. So that is what I think people need to be mindful of. Okay, You need to be mindful that just because... You've got three or four big headlines uh, in March. It doesn't mean that you know, you're know you playoff bound this year. And, and I, I don't mean to be a wet blanket over all this, but I think it's important to realize that very rarely does offseason aggressiveness in the third week in March correlate to winning a division the following
0: January. And I agree with everything that you're saying. We've seen it time and again. We've seen teams try to simply be relevant in March, win a press conference in March, get fans to renew their season tickets by saying, look at this guy we signed, look at that guy we signed, and the guy who's in the right place at the right time becomes the recipient of what is arguably a windfall over what his skills otherwise would justify. However, at some point this week, a full screen was displayed, which I assume if I talk long enough, it will show up again regarding the boost that some of the teams that have gone out and spent in free agency experienced in recent years. And so there are some exceptions and they're recent and maybe teams are doing it strategically. Remember what the Patriots did a couple of years ago when nobody had cap space? They did and they went out and they bought up a bunch of players and they were better in twenty. 20- 21 than they were in 2020, so it it is possible. But but, but Mike, it's but Mike, not. I'll interrupt you and just
1: and just ask you, what about Janu Smith? You know what? He was the prize of that free agency class, and he never did it. He scored one touchdown for the Patriots. And 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 again, look, we could put up this graphic certainly. Uh, but I could put up, I could put up a graphic that's five times longer with teams that have stunk it up the following year after spending a lot of money. So I understand. There are, and I'm not even saying that's definitely an exception to the rule because you're right. Let's say 20% of the time it works, 80% of the time it doesn't.
0: I was just surprised to see so many instances recently where it has actually boosted a team because I, like you, was of the mindset that it's fool's gold and it's done for business reasons more than strategic reasons. And it's bad teams staying bad by spending like drunken sailors just so they can say, hey, look, we may suck from September to January, but we know how to win March when no one's keeping score. And it wasn't just Jonu Smith. They did add Hunter Henry, which made no sense. Two tight ends in that same free agency <laughs> class. The big name that they got was Matthew Judon, who's done very well for them in the two years he's been there. Yeah. He was part of that haul, But Nelson Aguilar didn't quite work out, and there are others they added that year that di- haven't worked out. Kendrick Bourne was added that year. He's still there as well. Before we go any farther, though, and lest I forget, because I gave my word yesterday I would do this, it is St. Patrick's Day. I'm not wearing green because I realized this morning – I have no green. I have no green shirts. So maybe for next March 17, which actually will land on a weekend, I'll have a green shirt and I'll wear it around my house. I'll sit up here and wear it even though we aren't on the air. I do have to say this. And I say this with a a great degree of hesitation because I don't want this to become a regular thing. But I have made an exception because it is the birthday of one of our fans in the U.K., Claire Hughes is 50, and for her 50th birthday, she had one request. She wanted us to mention the name of her feckin' husband, Ben Hughes. So Ben Hughes, who watches the show religiously, even when it's not football season, and Claire doesn't understand why he watches when it's not football season, because there's no football going on, but there's plenty of other stuff. Ben, hello to you. Claire, happy birthday. Enjoy your feckin' day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. All right, I got that out of the way. And, And please now... Don't everybody, and I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have 100 emails today with requests for Monday, but but you know, we, we do it selectively, we do it rarely, and we, we did it live just now, although it's not live today in the U.K. and in Ireland. All right, let's move along. Um, the Bears, a week ago today, Peter, made uh, the big splash, poorly timed, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. They made where a big bad news treat. goes to die. Yeah, they did. The biggest news of the week heading into free agency, the Bears out of the number one spot, the Panthers up from number nine. Here's Ryan Poles, who was very candid, surprisingly candid with you, Peter, at the Scouting Combine about what he was thinking of doing. We talked last Friday in this spot about the timing. Little did we know later that same day the deal would be done. Here's Poles from earlier this week talking about the decision to move out of the one spot when he did. The noise around it was... Crazy compensation, but I think at some point when you feel comfortable with what you're receiving you pull the trigger Um, Sometimes you wait too long and and things you know move on trades are hard I mean when you're a part of them and, and they pop up and you're having those conversations They're not comfortable conversations, especially when you're moving on from a player So, you know the longer that you're talking about it and thinking about it You can start to sway a little bit. So when we hit in a position where I was comfortable, we were good with it well, they hit that position late Friday afternoon, which, again, kept both the Bears and the Panthers from having the kind of news cycle victory lap that they ordinarily would have. And I generally beseech all teams, wait until there's an opportunity for us to milk the cow a little bit and generate some, some money from the, the news instead of having it die over the weekend. Because really, by Monday, it was forgotten, Peter. But this was a, a big deal for the Bears and for the Panthers. And I understand the timing. You have the Panthers willing to allow DJ Moore to exit the roster. If you're the Bears, you snatch that chance when it comes. There's a
1: couple of things. I talked to Ryan Poles last night, Mike, and, uh, you know, after his press conference. So I, I knew what he said, and, and obviously we had that in-depth conversation. You know, there were two really interesting things that I thought – you know, when we talked. One was, I mean, imagine this. I left Ryan Pohl's 19th floor uh, hotel room in Indianapolis Saturday, right about noon uh, in uh, of, of, of Combine Week. And I asked him last night, when did he get serious with Carolina? And he goes, right after you left my room. He said, Scott Fitterer came in Right after you left, and we, we really kind of pounded down on, on a lot of the details. And Mike, there's two interesting things. Although he had talked on the surface with Fitterer before this, like at the Senior Bowl, hey, we want to be involved, there was nothing real serious about it. But by the time, by the time uh, Scott Fitterer left Ryan Pohl's room on that Saturday... Six days before the trade was actually, uh, you know, was actually made, he knew that this trade was not getting done without DJ Moore in it, and I believe they discussed a lot of different things and a lot of different ways. Because remember, Mike, what I wrote, what Polls told me, is that he had a trade on the table that would have brought uh, three ones basically. You know, the the one in in the first round of this draft, just from flopping, sending your one, you'll get the other one in return. But also, first round picks in 24 and 25. And what ended up happening was that, obviously, when you put DJ Moore in that trade, that totally changes the dynamic. And that made the one in 25 a two. And so that's exactly how how that got done. That polls came off his. We got to have a one in twenty four and twenty five because really anybody would say that. Look, uh, DJ Moore is not a top ten receiver, but he's probably a top twenty receiver. He's under contract for three years at a manageable pay, like averaging I think seventeen five over the next three years, and they desperately need right now to find out if Justin Fields is the long-term guy. But here's the other thing he told me, and he kind of hinted this to me uh, when I saw him a week ago, and that is that, look, they're not going to be blind to the fact that next year or the year after, they might, might. He doesn't expect it to happen, but they might have to be in the market for a quarterback in the draft. And so if they are, next year they've got a significant Uh, chip which is their one they've retained their one and an extra two in 25 so mike i think you've heard it everybody has heard it there's basically two really gem quarterbacks in the draft next year led by caleb williams of usc so let's just say for the sake of argument that they think at the end of this year you know we probably need to move on from justin fields and again I want to emphasize, he doesn't think that they're going to move on from uh, Justin Fields, but you always like to have options if you're in that position. So if they're not any good this year, and let's just make this up, they've got the sixth pick in the draft, they're going to have an extra one, and then they've got three picks in the first two rounds of 25, so they would be in position, if need be, to go up and get their quarterback, so I think that became a really important thing. Even though six times in the course of that conversation a couple of weeks ago and last night, uh, Ryan Poles expressed deep faith in in uh, Justin Fields, but he understands the way football works. <laughs> you know, you've got to be prepared for all contingency plans,
0: and. You know, you look at what they got and if it would have been a one in 2024 and a one in 2025 in lieu of the second rounder in 25 plus DJ Moore, I think that's a lesser deal. I always want the proven player. Now, you have to pay the guy. You have to inherit the contract, but you don't know. You're getting a lottery ticket. So I get a lottery ticket in round one versus a lottery ticket in round two and I get a guy who I know can play. To me, that's better if I've got the cash and the cap space to absorb him, and the Bears were able to take on that contract and still have far and away more cap space than anyone else. So it was a great move by the Bears, and it allowed them to go out and buy up a bunch of players. They started on the defensive side of the ball with a couple of linebackers. Go ahead, Peter. I was just
1: going to make one last point about the Panthers. When I wrote this, uh, obviously, and then the trade was made, uh, I probably heard from you know, 10, 15 via email or or, uh, tweets about how they never should have given up DJ Moore. He's our best receiver, all that stuff. Just keep one thing in mind when you say you never should have given up DJ Moore. You know, so DJ Moore is averaging about 17.5 million over the next three years. The Panthers, even after making some of their recent signings, are still $17 million under the cap. In other words, subtracting DJ Moore's money allowed them to go out and do some stuff in free agency before, you know, obviously, before whatever you have to uh, commit to your draft choices. And when you have the first pick in the draft, it's a different monetary commitment than having the ninth pick in the draft as well as losing you know, picks down the road like a second-round pick. All I'm saying is that I understand people don't want to lose DJ Moore, but everything in this deal is a balancing act, including who Carolina might take. And I am convinced, although I've been shouted down by other people in our business, let's say, uh, I am convinced that when they made this trade, Carolina wasn't positive, they were going to take. I think they're leaning one way. I don't know which way. I think they're leaning one way, but I do not think that they have come to an organizational decision
0: about who they're going to pick. Well, the betting markets immediately adjusted to reflect CJ Stroud as the new favorite. So the thinking is they would ultimately take CJ Stroud if they stay in that spot. But they they got the word out by Friday night to multiple reporters that they could trade out of that spot. I hope they don't get too cute for their own good because the reason for all of this and the reason why you part with DJ Moore, there's no there's no reason to have a great receiver if you've got revolving door of mediocrity at quarterback. And this is David Tepper, the owner of the team's effort to finally bust through the inability to attract a Deshaun Watson to town. They've struggled to find a, a veteran franchise quarterback, so let's just go get the best guy in the class. We take whoever we want, and I hope they don't yield to the temptation of flip-flopping with the Texans or slipping down to four and hoping that they'll still get a guy that they'd really like. If they come to the conclusion they love all three between Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, we'll just go to four, replenish some of what we gave up, and let the others pick first. I wouldn't play that game. I would take the guy that I love. I would try my damnedest to, to come to the conclusion and consensus. There is one guy who's better than the rest and work it out from there. But I agree with you, Peter. I, I think they, they made that move, not with the eye that we've got one guy we already want, but they wanted to be in position that they know they'll get the guy that they really want when they come to that conclusion. And they have six weeks or so to figure that all out. Look at that movement from the MGM odds from plus 400 to minus 300 for C.J. Stroud. But again, who knows? And, you and know, one of the things we've might seen when teams make these trades, they keep it close to the vest because they like to add to the uncertainty leading into the draft. You know, I,
1: I wrote something in my column that um, I thought was significant, but I have no idea what it really means, and that is that Frank Reich... Uh, The coach of the Carolina Panthers has been a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, or head coach for 17 years now. And in those 17 years, I went back and I looked up every starting quarterback who ever started a game when Frank Reich was either quarterback coach, position, you know, uh, coordinator, or head coach. And in those seventeen years, he only had two quarterbacks who started a total of six games, Ryan Lindley, who's six three, and Sam Ellinger, who's 6 two. He only had two quarterbacks starting a total of six games in those seventeen years, who were under 6-4. So that is why I think a lot of people in the last few days have basically said, Well, let me jump on C.J. Stroud. Because I think it's logical. If for 16 and a half of your 17 years as an NFL coach, your quarterback has been 6'4 and taller, do you want to enter a totally new way of coaching your quarterback where, and keep this in mind, Mike, most quarterbacks play out of the shotgun the majority of the time anyway. If you draft Bryce Young, you probably are going to be in the shotgun 97% of the time. Okay, so if you're in the shotgun that much as a kind of a classic pro-style offensive coach, and look, Frank Reich has coached a lot of different quarterbacks, but I would say from Peyton Manning to Matt Ryan, which is, you know, he started as a position coach for Peyton Manning and he ended basically with Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. He has been a pro-style, you know, classic quarterback, as he was when he played in the NFL, mostly as a backup, um, you know, 35-ish years ago. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind, but I don't think that people should hear that and say, well, categorically, they're not going to take Bryce Young. So I talked to a coach this week who has spent a lot of time researching Bryce Young a lot of time, okay? And he told me, he said, there's two things about Bryce Young that are different from what anybody would think of a 5'10 quarterback. Number one, he doesn't get many balls batted down. He has this innate sense of when to get rid of it and where to go with it when he feels like he's in the Sequoia Forest. So that's one thing. And he said the second thing is he's got a trait that not a lot of college quarterbacks have. Mike, in college football, as you know, a lot of quarterbacks get the plays signaled in from the sidelines like while the quarterback is either at the line of scrimmage or in shotgun. He'll look over to the sidelines and the play, whichever play they're going to use, will be signaled in. Here's what, the reason why Bryce Young is so NFL ready is that Bill O'Brien, who was his coach the last two years at Alabama, now he's the New England offensive coordinator, but Bill O'Brien, according to this coach I talked to, basically told uh, Bryce Young, we're going to give you both plays and you're going to go to the line. You're going to have two plays in the huddle that you're going to call. This is what's done in the NFL, Mike. You call two plays in the huddle, and when you see how the defense is playing, then you decide which play you're going to go to. And you also obviously can change the play significantly because of that as well, you know, from what you see uh, on the defense. But Bryce Young played the last two years having multiple plays, going to the line of scrimmage, and picking one. That is is very NFL style, and Bryce Young is very, very used to it. So I think those two things basically will, will tempt any team picking high in this draft to say, I know he's 5'10", but he was great in college, and not only he was great in college, but he didn't play small man quarterback like you would think a 5'10 quarterback would.
0: Two points. One, one of the reasons that I'm leaning towards C.J. Stroud is because our in-house quarterback expert, Chris Sims, early in his process of studying the top quarterbacks, I think he's already suggesting that Stroud is far and away the best NFL prospect of the bunch. So that influences me because like-minded guys, Reich and Sims, Come to that conclusion. Here's the other factor. And this is something that cannot be overlooked, especially when you have a strong willed owner, most of them are, who is directly involved. Most of them aren't. Tepper seems to be what Tepper wants, Tepper gets. So it doesn't matter if Frank Wright comes out of this saying, I want Stroud or I want Richardson. If Tepper wants Young, and, and one of the benefits of being a multi billionaire and one of the richest guys in the country is you never have to say, go do this. You have ways of casually making your point, raising your question, getting your idea out there. And the people who work for you, who want to continue to work for you, if they're smart, they will pick up on it and act accordingly. That's the wild card in all of this. Who does Tepper decide he loves? Who does Tepper decide he wants? Because at the end of the day, it's his team. And if you do it the right way, I never said, I Jimmy Haslam, I never said, Go get Johnny Manziel. No, but everybody knew you wanted him. So you blame someone else for it, even though it was your decision. So that's the other thing I watch here. Doesn't matter what Scott Fitterer wants. Doesn't matter what Frank Reich wants. What matters is what the boss wants. And the boss, I think, has a way of making it known. And I would say Tepper's far more direct than most of these owners, Peter, when the time comes to to make his preference known to the people who work for him. Mike, I have heard that for whatever
1: this is worth, that this is going to be a collaborative decision. And one of the reasons why David Tepper allowed this Jillion Dollar coaching staff, because keep in mind, Mike, okay, uh this is not just hiring Frank Reich and then saying, okay, hire a coordinator and a quarterback coach and you know, like you always would. You know, he got Josh McCown as his quarterback coach. He got Jim Caldwell as his assistant head coach. And, uh, you know, basically kind of quarterback guru. He got Thomas Brown as his offensive coordinator. You know, the longtime Sean McVay assistant. And then, obviously, there's Scott Fitterer, who was in Seattle when they drafted Russell Wilson. So... I'm not saying that you're wrong. What I am saying is that I doubt that if David Tepper has in his head, I want to take player X. And let's say they come, they have their first meeting after all the pro days, you know, like, let's say April 1st, they get together in Charlotte, they all sit in a room, and they say, okay, let's figure out. We've had our... Day long session with Richardson, with Stroud, with Young. We've spent, we've taken them all to dinner. We've done this with them. We've done everything with them. You've watched every game they played in college. Okay. So now let's talk about it. Who do you like? Who do you think is best suited to be the first pick in the draft? And I'm just saying that if Frank Reich, Scott Fitterer, and Josh McCown, let's just say, say we like. C.J. Stroud, I doubt sincerely that that David Tepper is then going to say, wait a second, I'm going to overrule you and say I want Bryce Young because, you know, Nick Saban, Bryce Young, Alabama, blah, 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 blah. So I'm not saying you're wrong, Mike. I do think David Tepper is likely to have an outsized influence on this pick. But it always reminds me in recent years of what everybody says about Jerry Jones in the Dallas draft room. Which is, Jerry's going to make the decision, stop fooling yourself. I have been in the Dallas draft room. I have watched it happen. And I've been in there twice. And Jerry Jones leads by consensus. Even when he is pissed off like he was in 2016 to not get Paxton Lynch. He did not order Stephen Jones to add something to the package so they could draft Paxton Lynch, who they desperately wanted. And I mean desperately in that draft. So all I'm saying is that I understand the outside world is going to think that uh, David Tepper is going to come in with some magic wand and say, I want this guy. I don't care who you guys want. not going to be that way, at least in my opinion.
0: This is, in my mind, a fascinating example of organizational dynamics that is transferable to other sports and to other industries. How you navigate the person who's in charge, how you get the person who's in charge to not interfere with the development of a consensus by the people who have the expertise, and I agree with you. David Tepper is not going to say, if Scott Fitterer and Frank Reich come, arms locked lock, like they're going to play Red Rover, and say, we want C.J. Uh, Stroud, excuse me, Tepper's not going to say, I own the team, I want Bryce Young. It's something that kind of organically happens through the process. So the challenge will be, to use that example, let's say Reich and, and Fitter love C.J. Stroud, and they're afraid that the boss is in love with Bryce Young or will err on the side of Bryce Young. That's when the challenge becomes. And this is how it works. It's as simple as this. Reich and and Fitter tell all the scouts, all the coaches, don't say anything good about Bryce Young around David Tepper. Don't show any good feelings. Look, here's how how we have to do this. We can't let Tepper get too smitten with Young because I've already heard him say a few things. So we got to set this up. And, and I can give you specific examples of where that's actually happened, where we got to set this up so we don't get him to. And now the question is, how involved is Tepper in watching the film and doing all those things? But if he's just kind of in a drive by mode and he's focused on his hedge fund that's allowed him to be rich enough to buy and operate this team, maybe they can pull that off. If he's right there, elbow to elbow, the whole process, it's harder. But if he's just in and out, it's like well, we, we know who we want. Let's let's make sure we don't give him an opening to fall in love with the guy that we think he would take if it was up to him. And that's and again, that applies in every NFL organization. It applies in all workplaces across the country. How do you navigate the strong personality who runs the program, who may come in and either gradually or suddenly make his or her wishes known? I hear you. Um. I mean
1: that that as I say, Mike, I don't know what's going to happen. It, it's happened. It's I don't happened think you could happen, happen again. Either. That's all I'm saying. But
0: right, no, but that's uh, why that's why it's fun I'm to sure talk it about could. it. We I'm don't sure know what's going to happen. I'm sure, it could. We're trying to identify the factors.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I really think that I will be surprised. Let's just say I'll be surprised if on March seventeenth. St. Patrick's Day, six weeks before the start of the first round of this draft, that right now, today, David Tepper is solid in his opinion uh, that we have to take Player X, whether it be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, I would assume it'll be one of those. I, You know, a lot of people, and I had heard this last weekend, you know, there are some, uh, and I... I think it could be rumors, I don't, I don't know, that, quote, Frank Reich loves Anthony Richardson, end quote. I mean, maybe. And I'm not saying that he doesn't. There's a lot to love about Anthony Richardson. But he's a one-year starting quarterback who had some very checkered games. Now, he had some great games, too, okay? But he's a one-year starting quarterback I think in his last college game, he was 9 out of 27. All I'm saying is that it's hard to imagine when you put Anthony Richardson up against those two guys, very accomplished quarterbacks at the highest level of college football. It's hard for me to imagine that they would take Anthony Richardson, but who knows? Maybe they will. I guess what I'm saying is that you are doing your long-term prospects a grave disservice with the pro days of all three players, plus Will Levis, who they're going to look at. Uh, You're doing your your team a grave disservice if you don't enter these next two-plus weeks with the most open mind you've ever had on a football decision. Because at the end of the day, people will get fired if this quarterback stinks. No matter how great and how unanimous or how whatever the decision is, if they fail, if they pick a quarterback who doesn't succeed, they're all getting fired. So that's why, to me, I think, and that's why I fought back this week against the suggestion that they know who they're picking right now. I think they all have leanings about who they like. But I think it is ludicrous to suggest that it's set in stone and they're just keeping a big secret right now And if about who they're picking. And if it is, I lose respect for people in that organization. You should be using these next two weeks particularly to dig very deeply into all of these guys and then make the decision based on a lot of knowledge, not just watching tape, and a 15-minute meeting at the scouting combine.
0: Good news is you have plenty of options in Carolina. Bad news is you eventually have to make a decision. And just look at the 49ers from a couple of years ago when they traded up and they ultimately took Trey Lance and left Justin Fields on the board. So far, that looks like a bad decision by the 49ers. And who knows where that will go from here. All right, let's pivot to the other big news of the week. We finally know what Aaron Rodgers would like to do we don't quite know yet how he's going to be able to do it but here's just a, a, a snippet of various sound bites of interest from Aaron Rodgers appearance with Pat McAfee <laughs> earlier this week to set the table did for you what talk Aaron about Arbor this at all yesterday on Mike the other side Mike did you even mention
1: just Aaron Rodgers just- on the show yesterday
0: <laughs> the, over-under, the over-under was 58 and a half minutes and we were just under. Here's a lot less than the full hour of Aaron Rodgers with Pat McAfee from Wednesday.
1: You know, i, I got to admit, I went in the darkness, 90% retiring, 10% playing. That's where my, my mind was. I think since Friday, uh, I made it clear that my intention was to play and my intention was to play for the New York Jets. Okay. Um, mm. And I haven't been holding anything up at this point. It's been compensation that the Packers are trying to give uh, for me and kind of digging their heels in. People want these things to be so true. They're like, I'm in this meeting, you know, you know dressed in, you know, ceremony regalia, giving them some sort of like no handwritten on parchment to demand list of people that they need to sign. What are we talking about here? I don't have demands. Look, my only demand is for transparency.
0: Well, uh, (laughs) full transparency, nobody ever said he had demands. Nobody said there was a ransom note. It was a wish list. That's how it was reported, and several names were on it, and several of those guys are on the radar screen of the Jets. One of them, Robert Tunyon, actually signed with the Bears yesterday. Hopefully it wasn't a ransom note from Rogers, or he will now turn and pivot away from the New York Jets. But, Peter, your reaction, anything that comes to mind that you were feeling, you were thinking, as we were hearing Aaron Rodgers' words and as we began to process what it all meant. I was not surprised that he said, I want to play
1: for the Jets. My intention is to play for the Jets. I was not surprised that he said that um, the Packers are dragging their heels on this and let's just get it done because obviously he wants to get it done. Mike, you wrote about this. I'm going to take just a very quick detour, but I want to go back to that. You wrote about this. I said it, I don't know, right after this was, was, uh, was done on Wednesday, I said the only way, the only trade that makes sense in my mind is you trade a two this year. The Jets trade a two this year for Aaron Rodgers. And they trade a conditional pick in 2025, not 2024, but in 2025. Because the whole key here is... If Aaron Rodgers only plays one year, then I think he's worth a two and a four, let's just say. But that four I would make in 2025 and conditioned on him playing in calendar year 2024 for the New York Jets. And if he does play at all for the Jets, then that pick becomes a one, okay? So the, the trade then would be a two, in 2023, and a 1 or a 4, let's say, in 2025. And I only say all that because if Aaron Rodgers is only going to play one year, it's not worth all that much. It's worth something, obviously. But if he only plays one year, it absolutely is not worth having a first-round pick in the return. Now, getting back to it, the only thing he said that really surprised me, Didn't surprise me about the media sniping. For some reason, he just has a bug up his rear end about ESPN, about Adam Schefter. Now, I guess, about Diana Rossini. Shoot, Schefter, two months ago, said there's a good chance Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded. He reached out to him at some point in that period of time to talk to him about it. And Rodgers said, lose my number, bro, which he has every right to do. But it's like he's critical of Adam Schefter for doing his job. And, and the, other, the only other thing that really did surprise me is he said he went in, as you just played in the soundbite, I'm 90% sure I'm going to retire when I went into the darkness. I would like to delve into that a little bit. I thought the great matzo ball hanging out there after his press conference was, what exactly happened in those four days? What went through your mind? What made you change? And all that. And so, look, I think Aaron Rodgers is right. I know how I would feel if I felt like I didn't contribute to the start of all these rumors. And I don't know whether he did or didn't. But he obviously is is giving the impression that he didn't start this rumor about how I might be traded. Uh, and, he, and he was suggesting heavily that it was the Packers who did that. And, and look... I don't know what happened in that whole thing. But the fact that he said that he was 90% retired, honestly, Mike, that would scare me if I were the New York Jets. If you're that close to hanging it up, and if this year isn't some fabulous success story, you know, if you have hardship and the Jets go 10-7 and and they get swept by the Patriots again, or whatever, whatever happens, you don't make the playoffs. How do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to feel waking up next January 10 about playing a second year with the Jets? I don't know. But I'm just saying that I think hearing 90% retired, if I were the Jets, that
0: would give me some pause. Well, it creates the impression if we accept his narrative in whole. And I think with Aaron Rodgers, you get some truth and some embellishment. I believe that he embellished in order to create the notion that the Packers had lied to him in some way about what they wanted. Because initially with McAfee, what Rodgers said was, end of the season, they told me, we got a spot for you. We want you back. Come come back if you want to come back. And with that as the background, he was 90% leaning toward retiring. So he says, then he finds out that they're shopping him and that pisses him off and makes him want to play for a team other than the Packers. Now, later in the interview, he acknowledges that oh, wait, I was getting the feeling during the season maybe they didn't want me. So that conflicts with the idea that they still had the red carpet out and the light on for Aaron Rodgers. So I think he's trying to do the Michael Jordan thing where he creates that mindset, that incentive, that motivation to go out and have a big season, to maybe draw desire. Maybe he doesn't really want to play. Maybe he'd rather retire. I mean, you're walking away from $60 million if you do, and all you have to do is the same thing you've done every year since 2005. But I think this idea that if he was thinking, I'm done, if that's true when he says 90%, getting himself fueled by this animosity toward the Packers will carry him through a year. But I agree with you. I think it's just one year. We played on Monday, clip of Aaron Rodgers with Brandon Marshall when Rodgers said a decision is coming soon. Now, at the time, he had already come to his decision. He said on Friday he came to the conclusion he intends to play for the Jets. But he said during that interview, if you watch the whole thing, it's only about five minutes. At one point, he asks the question of whether you can be an all-time great if you only play one year. And it came up with Marshall saying he's an all-time great Jet and he only played there a couple of years. And Rodgers said, well, you know, if you only play one year, can you be an all-time great? And it made me think, aha! Sometimes the truth just kind of inadvertently pops out of a guy's mouth when he least expects it. And I think it's one year. I really do. And you're right. They need to protect themselves against giving up too much for a one-year rental with Aaron Rodgers. And you have to ask yourself, too, why do you want a one-year rental with Aaron Rodgers unless you just recognize it's going to fill the stadium? All of our games are going to be the subject of a tug-of-war among all the network's we're going to have massive ratings, we're going to make a lot of money, we're going to be relevant for a year, and maybe along the way something happens and Zach Wilson becomes Aaron Rodgers.
1: Look, you know, you talk about there's so much in what you just said that that uh, clicked for me, one of which is the Jets are going to be a different team right now. When when Aaron Rodgers lines up I believe on Sunday night of opening weekend, against either the Dallas Cowboys or Philadelphia Eagles on NBC Sunday Night Football, when he lines up and plays for that team, just imagine how different it is. Okay, they got they 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 they, they sort of climbed the ladder a little bit when they had Rex Ryan and and you know when Mark Sanchez had his moment of greatness or very goodness, let's just say. And so they had a few moments back a decade ago. okay. But, Mike, it's been a long time. Probably, you know, they had some moments when Bill Parcells coached there as well. But it's been a long time since network TV went and looked at the Jets' schedule and said, we are going to max out primetime appearances for this team this year they will get fought for this year and I believe as I just said they will play on Sunday night in week one um, a marquee game that will get ridiculous ratings uh, including ridiculous ratings in the state of Wisconsin just look at this schedule in my opinion They are going to play the opening Sunday night game, there you see, at Dallas or in the Meadowlands with a nutty, nutty crowd against the defending NFC champs, the Philadelphia Eagles. And that will be the most uh, interesting game of week one, and it's not even close. I don't care if they play Kansas City against Joe Burrow or, or Josh Allen that first weekend, which... I don't think they will on Thursday night. I think they'll use another game and save those mega games for prime time later in the season. But I just think everything about the Jets in 2023 is going to be different than it was in 2022. Not a lot of 1 o'clock Sunday games for the New York Jets going forward.
0: Well, and I... (laughs) You know, the Jets haven't been on NBC. You mentioned Sanchez and Ryan. The last time the Jets were on NBC was Thanksgiving 2012, the butt fumble game. That's how long it's been. That's a decade of the Jets not being attractive enough to make their way on. We were Cincinnati in the stadium game. that night. I, I remember it. <laughs> if, if, I'm, if I'm the NFL, I'm seriously considering Jets at Cowboys for Thanksgiving in that mid-afternoon window because that has been the marquee regular season game of the year over the past few years right um and 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 now the other side of it too Peter the walls are torn down with the old AFC NFC package it's it's open season for CBS and Fox for the yeah, Sunday yeah. games they can lobby right. they That's can true. It, so That's true. but but, but there, there there's uh there's There's some interesting dynamics that come to play unrelated to whether or not the Jets can get back to a Super Bowl or even be a real contender. Go ahead. Mike, how about this? How about this? How about Jets
1: somebody on Black Friday? On that, what I think will also be a ratings monster because obviously we all know now that the Black Friday game even though it is very very different and you know it's not going to be what everybody is used to seeing and it's not going to be in a place where people are used to seeing football games most notably uh, who knows maybe they really try to boost that Black Friday show and you know by putting Aaron Rodgers on
0: it I mean who knows they are going to be the 2023 version of the Broncos from a year ago where they are just everywhere. And uh, hopefully Even higher, higher profile. fares better. Hopefully it fares better for the NFL than the Broncos did last year because uh, it did not go well for the NFL to have the Broncos in so many significant spots. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to try to make some of the sense or some sense, as the case may be, of the free agency moves that have happened so far this week. We'll do that when this Friday edition of PFD Live continues right after this.